Hello, everyone. And after one week break for the holiday, we are back to Bible study. And so, as you can hear, I had a treatment, and so I'm very weak. So either turn up your computer or listen very closely, because it is a tremendous lesson today. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for this opportunity again. Lord, we want to hear you. And despite despite our, our inadequacies, Father, we know you can make this lesson shine. So we give you all the glory and praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. Philippians chapter 2. Now, just because we haven't met for a week, let me just take you for a little walk through Philippians 1. You can tell that Paul is writing to people he just loves. And he tells them that, that together they're partners. And that word is so good because partner means even. We're even in this. We all come to Christ the same way. In that we're partners in the gospel. And then he goes on and tells them about how confident he is. How confident that, that the Lord is going to continue growing them and maturing them. So they will know him better. So then they will love more. Love in the way that he, that God wants us to love. But that key ingredient is knowing him better. Then we will trust and love him more. And he is saying how, how deep he wants them to understand this. He wants them to have depth of insight. And then he talks about the fact that, that he knows that they're feeling badly. They know, he knows that the people of Philippi are feeling badly about him being in prison under house arrest. And he wanted to encourage them because he's got the best attitude. He wanted them to see that, you know what, the Lord has a plan. And actually, by him being in this state, he's found that it has advanced the gospel. People who maybe never would have heard it is hearing it. He also says that, that it kind of spurred other preachers on. And he said he is very well aware that some are trying to kind of take over for him. That they have a different, they have a different um, motive. That that they, it's all because they want to achieve. He said there's some preaching the gospel because they just want to preach the gospel because they want people to know. And then there's always some who have a self-motive. But then Paul says it. He says, but what does it matter? At least the gospel is getting out. He's not at all threatened. He's not at all competitive. He just wants the gospel to get out. And then, and then he starts moving into the fact that he is going to be delivered. He knows he will be delivered. But it could be one of two ways. That he's delivered to live and be set free. Or he's going to be delivered and his earthly body will die. But then he will be delivered into glory. And then he tells those beautiful verses. You know, the verses that he says, and I'm torn. I don't really know which one I want because, of course, to live with Jesus is the best. But to be able to serve and to be able to get this gospel out so that he can, that he can still teach his churches, even through letters. What, again, what an attitude 
He doesn't want to live for his own selfish desires. The only reason he wants to live is so that he can be used of the Lord. Boy, isn't that something to think about? What do we really live for? Are we really living for the Lord? Or are we living for ourselves? Just another great question to think about. Well, then he talks about at the end, where he, at the end of the first chapter, where he says, stand firm. Stand firm in the spirit of one, of unity. Even though we might all have different opinions and different ways of looking at things, he says he wants his children to get along. That's such a powerful testimony. And as we move into today's chapter, he pretty much repeats that again. It really means so much to him that we all get along and that we stand firm in the gospel, not that we're pulled apart with differences, that we stand firm in the gospel. But then he ends the chapter by reminding them that that not only are we to believe in Christ, that it's a privilege to be able to go to the cross and, and experience salvation, but he says, but we also suffer for him. And we, we ended last time by saying that joy and suffering go more together because it's during the suffering that we find who Jesus is and he does what he's promised. In suffering, like Paul said in Romans 5 and as James said in James chapter 1, that we can rejoice when trials come our way. We can honestly consider pure joy when we go through sufferings. When you know that joy and happiness are not the same, then you can understand that our joy is complete in Jesus. And whether we're happy or not, our joy is complete in Jesus. And we find that the suffering, like Paul said, causes us to persevere. It, it makes us stronger. And perseverance leads to character, godly character. And character leads to hope. So our sufferings, so much good can happen in our suffering if we do not sink, if we do not fall into our despair of self-pity. And if we don't shake our little fist at God because he didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted it. But that we can understand that suffering makes us better and stronger for him. And now as we enter the second chapter of Philippians, as he moves on in his letter, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with his spirit, he's pretty much saying, look what you have. I mean, it's like, look, look what, look what you have in Christ. Look at, you're united. You are united with, with God. You're connected. Look at he says you you have unconditional love that that he that well there's he says I want you to grasp how how high and how deep and how wide and how long this love is. Think about it. You're united with Christ. You're part of his family. The love that it continues to lavish on you every day, there's no limit to it. That you now have an actual fellowship, a relationship with his spirit because his spirit dwells in you. Look at all you have. So it's kind of like he's making you sit and take notice. When was the last time you realized and that you were encouraged because, goodness, you're united with Christ, the Messiah. That, that 
When was the last time you really were comforted when you needed comfort? Comforted with the fact that his love is endless. And when, when was the last time that you realized that you have fellowship with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who lives inside of you? If you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And you know, that should matter to us. That should matter to you and I that we desire to not only let him be our joy, but that through our actions and through our lives, we can make him joyful. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. This is what Paul wants. He says, I want you to understand who and what you are in Christ Jesus. How much, does you, how much by your living do you think that you're bringing joy to God? How much, Paul is saying to these people of Philippi, and then he's saying to you and I, this is so wonderful to be able to, this is what gives real joy, is when I know, when God knows that this is changing your life, and it's making a huge difference in who you are and how you live. I guess these first couple of verses, at least for me, it was a stop and think kind of verses. That we take it so for granted. And we don't realize the power and the, and the joy. And what a way to live kind of attitude. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Paul said, I just want to hear, I want to hear that you're getting along, that you're like-minded, that your main concern is, is loving Jesus, getting the message out that, that souls are being won to Christ, and that you're maturing and growing and loving him more every day. Paul said, I don't care if I hear anything else. If I hear that, my joy is complete. And Paul knows it's going to give joy to, to Jesus too. And then he says, being one in spirit and purpose. You know, we all have different gifts and we all have different abilities. I mean, I, I think of, of maybe I'm the one with the voice piece, but... I think of a friend who's, who's with me right here today, making sure that the buttons were pushed right, that, that, the, that the recorder is moving right, and that the microphone is loud enough for you to be able to hear, even with my voice. I mean, just think, what would I be? What would my mouthpiece? See, this is what we have to understand. Paul is trying to get us to see that we're all serving for one purpose. And that there really is, that's why I loved when he talked about the word partner. We're partners. Maybe some people can do one kind of thing, but another can do another kind of thing. But we're partners in this so that the gospel of Christ is being able to get wherever it needs to get. And that's the one thing about technology that's just amazing to me, is that some of these, these podcasts, some of these Bible studies are getting into places, and there's people listening to them that would have never listened before. See, sometimes when we look at what has happened to us in the last year and a half. And it just, it, you know, there's a lot of difficulties with it, but when you start getting like-minded, when you start getting your purpose on Christ, he can move through it all. He can make things happen that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. I think that's why 
Paul said in Romans, and he keeps reminding us, we can know that in all things, God is still working. And he's working for the good. And he's willing to use you and me for one purpose, and that's the purpose of Christ. No competition. No trying to be better than somebody else. That one particular spiritual gift is better than another. No, we're partners. We're doing it for one purpose. And he knows how easy it is for us to fall into the traps of competitiveness or one gift is more important than another or that somebody's getting more recognition than, than another. He says, you better check. You better check yourself. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't you remember? In the first chapter, you used the same two words, selfish ambition. And we said, ambition isn't bad. It's good to be ambitious. But do you have a, a selfish motive in your ambition? Or are you, ambition, are you ambitious because you want to get the gospel out? You want to live your life for Christ? So, like he's going to say later in the chapter, you can appear in this dark world like a star in the night. That's why I say this. These first few verses is like Thomas, is just like Paul is saying, time for you to sit still and think. Just think about a few things. So don't do anything out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That's not normal. That's not natural. Only the Holy Spirit, when you allow him to work in your life, when you allow him to be on the throne of your life, are you going to look at people and care for them more than you care for yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But you have to be careful with that, because remember, when we're doing good works, when we're doing things for others, we always got to make sure that our purpose, our reason for, our motive is all out of complete gratitude for what he's done for us. And this is the least we can do. Is to listen when he tells us. He wants to use our hands, our feet, our cooking abilities, our writing notes, a phone call a prayer for someone. Make sure you're doing it not because you want to prove to people what a nice, good person you are. But it's the least you and I can do. He said, check your attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? <laughs> and, and then he goes on to explain, okay, what is the attitude of Christ Jesus? He says, who, Jesus, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I mean, we're talking equal Godhead, God the Father, God the Son. And I know this is going to sound terrible, but for me to be able to get you to understand, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the equal part of the Trinity, did not say to his Father another equal part of the Trinity. You came up with the idea why don't you do it? 
see, isn't that the way a pathetic human mind will go? I'm embarrassed to say it, but that's what sinful human nature does. But because Jesus did not take his position as second person of the Trinity, equal position, he did not say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grasp at my position here and I say a big fat no because this is going to be too hard and being that you thought of it, you can do it. God, it sounds just awful because we know Jesus and that wasn't ever even a thought. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. He couldn't do it quick enough. He couldn't give of himself fast enough. Because he loved us like his father loves us. His father came up with the grace-filled, undeserved plan. And Jesus couldn't wait to fulfill that plan. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. I mean, all I can say right here is that you don't see one bit of selfishness. And Paul is saying that we are to have an attitude like this. That's why we've got to stay in our Bibles. And we've got to get to know our Savior more and more so that we'll love him more and more so that we can be obedient to how he wants us to live. And he wants us to live with an attitude that is selfless instead of selfish. He wants us to see that our esteem is because of what Christ has done, not because of a self-esteem. That's why I, I don't even like those two words together. Self-esteem. People will say, oh, do you have a healthy self-esteem? My answer to that is no, I certainly hope not. Because I am nothing without Jesus. But I do have a healthy Jesus esteem. I have a very healthy Jesus esteem. And we can boast about that. Because we know that, no, we don't want a self-esteem. We want to look in the mirror and look at ourselves and see and know that we are only the way we are because of what Jesus has done for us. And then Paul goes on to say he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I took the time and I listed a few things about when Paul said he humbled himself. And I thought, I want to I get that more. What does that mean? I know it's so important that Jesus humbled himself. He was willing to leave heaven and like Paul said, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, found in, a, in an appearance as a man. I thought, yeah, that's what he humbled himself when he took the form of man, when he was, when he was laid in a manger. That's the feeding trough of the cows. He humbled himself when he was born into poverty, with simple parents. He humbled himself when he was born as a helpless baby. Instead of just being created into 
a grown-up person. He started just like every one of us as an helpless baby, healing himself, submitting to obeying earthly parents. He humbled himself by learning and practicing a trade. He humbled himself by waiting 30 long years to start his earthly ministry and to fulfill his purpose. He humbled himself by choosing 12 companions that were just everyday Joes. They were just everyday human beings. He humbled himself by the way he taught, the way he told stories and parables. He humbled himself by being tempted and enduring and showing us how that can work for us. He humbled himself by being hungry and thirsty and tired. He humbled himself by being totally, totally obedient to his father. See, there was so much more of humbling. And then, of course, we know that he humbled himself, like Paul said, by submitting to the cross by submitting to that agony, that shame, that mockery, that public humiliation. He humbled himself by the spiritual agony on the cross, let alone the physical, the spiritual agony when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm so glad Paul, then in verse 10, or in verse 9, he makes it very clear, therefore, because Jesus did what he did, because he humbled himself in all those areas, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You know, I couldn't help but think God the Father made it so worthwhile for Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what that was like when Jesus ascended back into heaven and was exalted by his Father, giving him the highest place the name above every name. But you know, we're promised to. We're promised that if we humble ourselves and we serve our Savior, that someday He will put us in the same position that He will acknowledge us and call us by name. And, and show us what he has been preparing for us. It will be so worthwhile. And then in verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Oh yes, every, every, every knee should bow. At the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee should bow. And why should they? Because of who he is. And what we know is that that if their knee is not bowing at the cross, if they are not acknowledging what Jesus did for them on the cross, and they are humbled, then they will bow to him someday as their judge. And it will be too late. 
not that he is, in verse 10, he is not making universal salvation for everyone. He's basically saying everyone should. Everyone should because he chose us all. He wanted to buy us all back. It's not his will that he sends anyone to hell, but he gives us a choice. We should be bowing to the name of Jesus in such complete joy, despite our circumstances, despite the world's conditions. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've humbly walked to the cross and you've accepted that salvation, we should joyfully bow at his name and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father who made it all possible. Therefore, my dear friends, see, I can't help but say this again. The first 12 verses, doesn't he want you to just stop and think about this? Do you see who you are? Only because of what the Father did? Only because of what the Son did? And now, only because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Therefore, then, he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. See, once you think about it, and once it becomes truly a part of you, and it's real to you, it's more than just a religion, it's more than just church attendance, I'm going to quick go back. He said, when was the last time you thought of being that you were so encouraged because you're united with Christ? When was the last time you were so comforted because you know he loves you and he'll never stop? When was the last time you realized that you're in fellowship and a relationship with, the, with God himself through his spirit? That should absolutely make such a difference, my dear friends, that you want to obey. You want to do what he says. You want to please him. Remember when Paul said a few weeks ago, make every effort. Try to find out how to please him. That should be something that matters. That should be a priority. Is my life pleasing him today? He says to the people of Philippi, but he's saying to you and I, how is your obedience? He knows he's heard that the people of Philippi are obeying, and it's, he's thrilled about that. And he hears they're not only obeying, when he's there, but they're obeying him. When he's absent, you know what? It changed their lives. They're new people in Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? And you can just hear the excitement in Paul because he's saying, see, it works. I'm not even there, and it's changed your heart. And because your heart has changed and the Holy Spirit is working in you, it's coming out in your actions and you're being used of the Lord Jesus. That's why he says, continue, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out. Now, please, 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 he doesn't say the word for. You cannot, I cannot work for our salvation. I think we're pretty much sure about that. But I think sometimes we still try a little bit. 
We try, we get a mentality thinking that, well, if I do good things, then... No, our good works are only because we're loving him more. And we just want to do it. Because he deserves it. But when he says, I want you to work out your salvation... I know it's very important to sit at home and pray and study your Bible. But he says, I know that you're, you've got a life and you've got to live it. You've got family and friends. And you've got to go out there and be a part of it. And so I want you to take what you've learned. I want you to be that new you. And I want you to take that out there because it's noticeable. And there's people that need to see it. In fact, look how he says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The Holy Spirit wants to work a whole new life in you. And then that will work out into this world. And I don't think when he says, work your salvation out into the world with fear and trembling, that he wants a scared silly. In fact, I think he wants you to see fear and trembling as a way of you and I should be so odd. Every believer should be so odd and in reverence to God. So it's not that we're shaking in our boots and we're scared to death. No, it's a, a reverence. It's an awe. The fact that an almighty God could and will use us. We are so joy-filled because of our relationship with God himself. I just looked at that fear and trembling and instead of a negative, I just knew it wasn't negative. I, I saw fear and trembling as joy and awe and reverence and opportunity and possibility. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And then he moves on. Do everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Did you notice? I hope you underlined it, circled it. Maybe, oh, whatever you need to do, yellow, pink, whatever you need to do, because look at that word, everything. He is saying, do everything without complaining or arguing. I ran across what Charles Spurgeon said about this verse. In fact, it made me laugh right out loud. Because... He said this way, he says, there's three things that we are not to complain or argue about. And I thought, oh good, Charles Spurgeon says only three things. But look, at these are the three things we are not to complain or argue about. God's choices, God's will for your life. Number two, you are not to complain or argue about one another. Number three, you are not to complain or argue, dispute about this ungodly world. <laughs> See, I, I just laugh because... You know, at first, it was kind of catchy, thinking, oh, good, only three things I shouldn't complain or argue about. But I think he pretty much 
behind it all. You can't complain about God's will for your life. What, what's happening in your life? You can't complain about others. And you can't complain about this ungodly world. That doesn't leave much else. So when Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. That you can do it right. That you don't have regrets because you did or said something you're sorry for. It's so easy to get in to that complaining and argument and disputing, and then before you know it, you've said and done something you wish you hadn't. Because we are children of God. We wear his name. We represent Jesus. And he wants us out there living right. I know you freak out when you look at the word blameless and pure. But every day, as we get to know him better, like Paul said, he prays every day for the people of Philippi, that they will know him better in greater depth of insight. You will see more Christ-like character in you than yourself every day. That's why studying God's word every day is so important, that you're a little bit more like Jesus every day. A little more today than you were yesterday. How exciting, isn't it? To think, when I study tomorrow, I'll be better than I was today. The everyday growth and why he wants us to live like his children. He doesn't want us compromising and living like the world. No, he wants us set apart. He wants us shining like a star in this crooked and depraved generation. He wants us shining like a star. I mean, I don't have to tell you what it's like to go out in the night and look up and see how bright those stars are and they stand out. He said, that's the way I want you to be in this crooked and depraved time that we're living in. That the light of Jesus can just shine I just want to remind you what light does. Light makes things evident. Light guides and shows you the way. Light can be used to warn you. And we need to be warned. Light is to bring cheer. Light is to help make things safe. All those attributes. And he says, I want you to be light in this dark place. I want you to show people through your life. I want them to be able to see what's evident that they're sinners. I want to use you and you be the light so they can see that you can guide them to the light. You can, you can be the light so that they can be guided to the ultimate light, Jesus. That you, as a light, can be a warning to them that this is true, this is real. There's going to be a time when it's going to be too late. That you can be a light to bring cheer. To be able to say to somebody, do you know how much he loves you? Do you have any idea how much he loves you? 
And then to think that you can be the light to show them that when this world does not seem safe at all, that we are safe in the arms of Jesus. He says in verse 16, he wants us to shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. That you hold strong to what the Bible is teaching you. And that you know that this is the book worth studying so that we can live right. So that we can be the light and the shine that Jesus needs us to be. He says, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ. Paul is saying that. I want you to to live your life out so others can come to know Christ. That you represent Jesus well. That you shine like a star in the night. Because then I can boast on the day of the Lord. And I think this is such a beautiful picture. Can't you just see Paul when he stands before Jesus and different people from his church of Philippi stand face to face with Jesus and and Paul hears Jesus call them by name and welcome them into glory. Paul is saying, oh, it was worth it all. All my labor, all the sufferings that I went through, I was able to bring Christ to these people, and because of that, they're standing in glory. It was worth it. And then he says, but even if I am being poured out, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. That's pretty much basically, he says, even if I'm martyred, even if I've been in prison because I was willing to care about your soul, and even if I'm martyred, I am glad See, this this is a man and this is a person that you and I should want to be like. And it is possible to be able to love Jesus so much and let the Holy Spirit make you and I so selfless. Because all we care about is the souls of people. He said, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm martyred, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and with and rejoice with me. Don't feel sad. It's been worth it all for you and for me. So instead of being sad, let's rejoice in what the gospel has done for me and what it's done for you. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. See, Paul knows that he is at least not soon He's not going to be able to visit them in person. So he's going to send Timothy. And don't you just love how he described Timothy? I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. I have no one else like him. He's got a pastor's heart. He really cares. He real. He's sincere. 
He's not hypocritical. He's not playing spiritual games. Because look at verse 21. Paul says, I know everyone looks out for his own interests. Not for those of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that there's very few people who will give of, who will give their all. Who want to know Jesus so much that their whole heart is for the sake of the gospel and that others can know him. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I know that that is what Paul wanted so. He wanted, and he wanted them to know it too. I think Paul said those words because he didn't want them to think, oh, you know, I'm going to just send Timothy. He wants them to know, oh my, I would love to come myself. And I'm going to trust the Lord on that because it's all up to him. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Boy, he certainly gave titles to Epaphroditus. He called him my brother. Not my, not my little handyman. He called him my brother. See, I go back to that. We're all in this together. For one purpose. For one cause. He calls him my fellow worker. We're working together. We have different gifts, but we're working together for the same cause. And we're fellow soldiers. Oh my, we have battled the sufferings together. And then he said, he was also my messenger. He was your messenger. Now he's going to be my messenger. But he was your messenger when you heard that I needed certain things and you sent Epaphroditus. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he knows that you heard he was ill. And he knows what loving heart you've got and how much you loved him. And he knows that you're all concerned about it. Paul says, I want to tell you, he was ill. In fact, so ill that he almost died. But God and but God had mercy on him. And look, look how Paul writes this. God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, he was so ill that he almost died, but God, but God healed him because God knew I needed him. God knew that he still had purpose for the kingdom of God yet. See, this is such a comfort, isn't it? That when you're ill, you can, you can know that we 
leave this earth a day early or a day late. That it's that he's marked the minute when when he knows that our work on earth is over. And he knows how long to keep us if we still got work to do. To me, that is so comforting to be able to know that I'm so in his hands and he's in so control of all my minutes, even seconds. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you do see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. I mean, I looked at that word and sometimes in the translation because we know that Paul also writes, be anxious for nothing. So I don't think that Paul is saying that he was out of control with anxiety. But he was saying that I'm human and I have feelings and I'm so grateful because I needed him. And now I don't have to be sorrowful because God saw to it because he knew my needs and he knew I needed Epaphroditus at this point in my life. Paul says, welcome him in the the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you could not give me. I think Paul ends this chapter because he wants us to first of all think about those first 11 verses. Think about the fact that once it's real in your life, now go live it out and shine like a star and be a light care that people are going to hell if they don't respond to the gospel. Make sure that they at least hear and how then they choose is up to them. But you can know that you were the light that they needed. Let me make sure that we have examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus just two normal men. But when filled with God's Spirit, that have an attitude like Christ. What a difference that can make. I'm going to end today with a quote from Oswald Chambers. I ran across it this week and it was one of my, well, see, I, before I leave my room in the morning, I make sure first that I hear from the Lord. And this was what the Lord wanted me to hear on the day, believe it or not, that I was studying this chapter. With focused attention and great care, You have to work out what God works in you. Work it out so you will exhibit the evidence of a life based with determined, unshakable faith on the complete and perfect redemption of the Lord. God not only expects you to do his will, but he is in you so that you can do it. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this lesson. Now may we take to heart, even if we have to listen to Oswald Chambers again, that we reel back and we hear it over and over. That we want to shine like a star in the night because of the light of Jesus in us. Father, we know that you expect us to live out your will. But you know it's impossible for us to do that. That's why you gave us yourself so that you can do it in us. This is just remarkable. This is what victory in Jesus is all about. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, three in one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.